This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash Living Proof New York. Yo, what's up, people? Today on the show, we have Sergio Hernandez and Jesus Christ, 10 out of 10 conversation. It was honestly amazing, but we ran into a little issue, and that is, you know, he lives in San Diego. We live in Queens, and basically, we did the podcast through Zoom, and because of that, uh, I think either our Wi-Fi or his Wi-Fi or whatever happens, the his on his end, the, the mic, the conversation, the... The audio, is, it's a little bit janky. You can still understand it. You know, humans are really good at putting messages together, even if even if some words are excluded. And But in the beginning, it's definitely a little bit bad. Uh, you could, Like I said, you can understand what he's saying, but it's definitely not the clearest thing. So we deeply apologize for that. Uh, I guess I think like 10 minutes or so into the podcast, I asked him to switch his Wi-Fi onto just... Uh, like, like I just switch his Wi-Fi to see if it would help and it helped a little bit but you know from our end you can hear everything we're saying from his you can understand pretty much everything he's saying and here I say uh, 70 80 85 percent of it so deeply sorry about that um, you know it is what it is but I hope you guys enjoy this uh, once again blank slaps hit them up sticker company out of Brooklyn New York putting out dope stuff, putting out stickers, uh, you know, holographic ones, red wavy border ones. Uh, if you don't want your stickers getting peeled off and taken home by somebody or just buffed in general, then definitely hit them up because that sticker's not coming off in one piece. I can tell you that. And, you know, they got stick, they got, you know, they got a ton of stuff. They got markers, uni paints, mark alls, scribes, um, caps and stuff. So, they're coming out of Brooklyn, New York, and we record out of Queens, New York. So we got love for anybody doing it in this city, and we got love for people doing it worldwide. Thank you to everybody who listens and supports. Sergio Hernandez, enjoy. Peace. All right, boom, we're live. Ladies and gentlemen, Sergio Hernandez, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. How you doing, man? Yeah, uh, I'm doing good, man. I'm honored to, to be on the podcast, man. You guys have been doing a good job, so I'm just Thanks, honored to be a part of it, you know? Yeah, I, I was lurking on your Instagram, and I saw that you had a you were on the amateur. You were on the same card as uh, in your amateur days as a boxer with Oscar De La Hoya. Oh, shit. Yeah, man. Back in the days, yeah, I did a amateur fight, and it was one of my first matches. It was in uh, uh, here in San Diego. And everyone, Oscar De La Hoya already had a bottom there. Like, this kid's going to go to the Olympics one day. And he was like the main amateur fight. And so, yeah, it was a trip. A picture from that day. So I might even have a video from my from my fight from that day. Really? So my dad started uh, doing boxing since the 70s, uh, maybe even the 60s. And so when I was a little kid, he, he started getting me into boxing. All my brothers, um, we all like tried it, you know. But I was the only one that was able to like kind of get hit in the face and not lose my temper about it. Yeah. How long did you box for? I think I was like from nine to like 14, 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I started getting into girls and graffiti and, you know, doing dumb shit, like, I don't know, I just, I kind of had to leave it alone. Mm -hmm. 
I think one of the main things was that also I seen um, a couple of my favorite boxers um, start getting punch drunk and stuff. Yeah. And so I, I would hear interviews with some of my favorite boxers and I could tell shit wasn't right. And I'm like, man, I'm trying to, I'm already like a space cadet as it is. So if I kept boxing, I would probably wouldn't even be able to do this interview right now, you know? Yeah, that, that shit is really serious. That shit's really scary. And I feel like within the boxing community, it kind of gets pushed to the side a little bit. You don't, you try not to think about it as much. If you hear people like, you know, I have tons of respect for Teddy Atlas, but you hear him talk about it. He'll get really emotional and kind of angry at you for, uh, for bringing it up. Or he'll just say like, you know, boxing has a ton of positives, which undoubtedly it does have a ton of positives, but you can't just skip over the fact that a lot of boxers have CTE and you can have an idea that you'll get into it. Oh, I'll be a really good defensive fighter, but even the most defensive fighters, they can get hit 40 times in, in, a, in a 12 round fight. That's more times than people get hit their whole lives. Oh yeah, yeah, it's super, um, it's such a brutal sport, you know, even worse than MMA, I think. And I love boxing, man. I grew up watching it and man, it was like the 1990s, Marvin Hagler and Roberto Durant from the 80s and Julio Cesar Chavez and all, all the 90s stuff. You know, I was like 12 years watching Mike Tyson knock fool and stuff. and like an event those 30 seconds my dad would still pay for the pay-per-view to watch it even though we were only watching Mike Tyson for about 20 seconds you know yeah I mean yeah, it was worth it that era was of fighters it was like an era where you know I feel like now with all the with all the newer boxers they definitely have a lot of skill but they're following in the Mayweather footsteps of uh try to like you know Mayweather's an excellent boxer but pick your opponents very wisely to preserve that number and oh and back then the losses yep. didn't necessarily define you. There are tons of fighters who had a lot of losses, but their uh, their stats were very deceiving, you know? Yeah, 100%. Some of my favorite fighters were people that had had losses, you know? Uh, there was a boxer named Mayorga. I mm -hmm. think he was from, uh, he was a Mexican. He was from somewhere else, man. Damn, I can't remember, but that dude was a badass. I was like smoking cigarettes before and after the fight, talking oh, shit. You're talking about uh, Ricardo Mayorga. He fought uh, Shane Mosley, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, is that type of shit? He's from, a, he's from a oh man, you know they're they're ready to put on a show, you know. Yeah, he was from Nicaragua. Nicaragua, yeah. He was one of my favorites. Yo, he was, he'll just he'll just go like that. Let 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 Shane Mosley tee off on him. Of all people, Shane yeah. Mosley had power. Yeah, yeah, he did that to a lot of people, man. So I've always liked that, and I, I want jujitsu to come that way too. You know, because I don't have abs, man. I got a bunch of losses, but. I'm older now, so I, I compete and I want to put on a show for the audience, you know. I was going to ask about uh, how you started boxing and stuff like that. Did you did you ever use it in, like, terms of self-defense on the streets and stuff like that? Well, um, as far as boxing, not really. I mean, I got I already knew how to box, and then I got in a fight in junior high school. Well, I got into a couple fights, but um, it just ended up being, like, a fucking – haymaker just because i was a little kid you know you just start throwing haymakers it wasn't i didn't have time to really think like control the distance and all those type of things and and keep them away with my jab it was just like overhand right overhand left nonstop. you know so <laughs> it wasn't that that good man yeah the boxing come well so you do like you did boxing you do you do a lot of painting you do uh tattoos you do jujitsu you did graph i don't know if you still do graph which which one which one's the like, which one came first? Well, the very first one was boxing, but like I said, I stopped 
I stopped doing that. But the very first thing I ever did was graffiti, actually. So I was like 12 years old and I had some spray paint. And I think my parents had, you know what? I think my parents had just gotten divorced and we moved, me and my mom and my brother, we moved to like a trailer in a kind of a, in Southeast San Diego. And uh, started seeing way more graffiti and that inspired me to try to like sneak out of my house at night and go paint, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my older brother got me into it. My older brother, he started writing, but he was getting into all types of shit with our neighbor. Uh, they, they were going out on adventures and coming back and telling me about them. So I, I kind of wanted to have the same adventures that they had, you know? Yeah, of course. When you when you were started writing graph, were you open about it with your with your family, or you try to keep it keep it hidden? Oh, I try to keep it as secret as possible, but it was pretty hard because people would see me in the street, or my mom would be driving me. And they'd be like, "Yo." What's up, Serge? And I seen your spot, and I was just like, oh, dude, like kind of burning me on and stuff. But I was super toy, man. I mean, everybody starts off that way. And I don't know. I think I have the longest, it takes me longer to get better at something than anybody else, whether it's jujitsu or graffiti or tattoo. Cause I see people in all those uh, different mediums get fast, yeah, get good really fast, you know? And so for me, it took me way longer. It's funny you say that because I, we were just talking before you, we started recording about how I feel like you're very talented at pretty much all the things you do, whether it be painting, tattooing, jujitsu, you, you know, you have your own, like you, you have a very unique style of all of those things. And I would assume that you are someone who picks up on things really fast and has like a like explosively creative mind. Yeah. Uh, no, man, I was like really bad. I mean, to this day, my graffiti hand style is just fucking garbage, you know what I mean? But as far as everything else, I see people getting good at tattooing in a year, two years. And I was just the worst tattooer for so many years, man. Like, I'm, I barely became comfortable with my tattooing, like in the last five years, you know? All those things that you started, did you have a mentor? Or you kind of had to look within to find like the motivation to keep going and kind of school your own self and watch like other people do it that you weren't close to. Was it like that? Or you had people that guided you in terms of graffiti, for example? For graffiti, it was more getting influences that were around me. I didn't really have a mentor, you know? So it was just a bunch of young kids, like all my homies from MDR, we were all kind of the same age. And we were all kind of in the same situation. And I would just kind of like try to try to learn from them basically, you know, but it wasn't like I had a big brother type of dude that was just like patting me on my head all the time. Like, hey, you gotta do this or that. It wasn't like that. We all had kind of mutual respect for each other and try to build each other, you know? Yeah, and exactly. uh, that's how I try to like do any type of mentorship that I do now or, or I try to help someone tattooing or jujitsu. My thing is always trying to uh, make somebody stronger in their own personal self, as opposed to um, making sure that they understand that I'm the fucking man and I'm the boss and and I'm the fucking legend, blah blah blah. Nah, dude, I want I'm trying to build people up and make them the leaders for the future, you know. So, like in tattooing, for instance, there's when you're uh, when you're an apprentice, there's like this gnarly hazing process that a lot of times tattooers go through, you know. And there is a time and place for that. And I respect that approach too, but it's just not my approach to, to I don't know, it's not my approach to, to teaching somebody anything, you know? Why do you think yeah. that it's, it's like that in a lot of cultures, even like in skateboarding or, you know, I don't know as much about tattooing, but I do, I do my like research, I do my homework on it. And I know that 
just with not even just like American, but also is like in Japanese or whether it be like the Kalinga tribes, all the, the tattooing, they have a vetting process for you to get to where you want to go. And same thing with like skating, like, if you're not that good and you show up at a park and people are killing it, they're not going to like want to talk to you if you just started or in graph too, you know, if you're a toy, like people are not going to want to write next to you. It's very similar within all these things. Help you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think because a lot of times humility is a very important part of being a student and when to force someone to humble is to just slim up a little bit or fucking call them a toy or let them know that they fucking suck. You know what I mean? And because a lot of times you're you're young and you're learning and you have so much self-confidence and you need that confidence as well. But you got to find that right balance between being humble and learning and then also, um, you know, being able to like go out there and shine a little bit, you know? Yeah, that's one thing that I found that I really enjoy about and is different about the jujitsu martial arts community is that you could you could you know, you go in there and you suck and then people of the highest level will be nothing but nice to you. And they'll really yeah. just like show you the ropes. And when they roll with you, instead of crushing you with everything they got, yeah. a lot of the times, if they notice the skill difference is significant, they'll just, you know, they'll help you. And you're not going to be isolated because you're a beginner. Whereas in a lot of other things, most of the other things that I do, if you're a beginner, you will be isolated. Right. right. Yeah, especially in graffiti under skateboarding mm-hmm. and, uh, and tattooing for sure, you know. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, there are a lot of uh, jujitsu instructors that are really old school <clears throat> that are gonna, um, they're, they're, they're gonna, they want to be treated like they're the fucking king, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's cool too. That's cool too, but yeah, how did you get know, into man. tattooing? Make people... How'd I get into tattooing? Yeah, um, here, well, I, w- I was working like a nine to five job, I was working at a bookstore, and I decided that I want to, uh, never work a nine to five job again but i decided it that morning and so i was driving to work and i told myself like this is a this is a fucking horrible life dude i never want to do this shit i'm like what am i gonna do my parents told me i'd be an artist every school counselor said you can't make a living making art everybody's telling me don't do art you know but i'm like well shit man this is what i want to do so i'm like all right well i'll figure it out i'm gonna be a school teacher i was going to college time um having to work i decided i'm gonna quit nine to five i'll never gonna work for anybody ever before again i show up work um i walk during lunch and i never worked a nine to five job ever again that was like about 20 years ago mm-hmm. and so i was painting murals so i was like shit i went back home i told my lady at the time i'm like hey man i, I quit my job i just want to be an artist and she's like what the fuck are you gonna do and i was like well i don't know yet i'm gonna try to figure this out starting today and so I started painting, painting, painting nonstop. I went out to every business and asked if I could paint a mural for them. And like a week, two weeks later, I'm painting a mural and my buddy Jesse Mercado rolls up in a little golf cart. He was some security guard or some shit at the time. And he's like, hey man, uh, I'm opening up a tattoo shop. I had no tattoos on me. I had no idea what the fuck tattoos were. Like I just see my homies had some and shit. And uh, he's like, I'm opening up a tattoo shop. If you want to be my apprentice, I'm, uh, I'm familiar with your graffiti. And so if you want to learn, and my initial response was like, no, man, I'm an artist. <laughs> I'm an artist. I don't want to be a tattooer, man. Because I just was naive. You didn't know shit. And so uh, finally, I was like, fuck, man, I better take him up on that offer. So I ended up there. I ended up at a called Concrete Jungle. And that's where I started to learn how to do like just little handwriting, tattooing cholos and all types of stuff like that, you know. 
That's pretty sick. Fucking on this show, we've spoken to a lot of people that have like the do-it-yourself, um, you know, mindset. Whether they're yeah. a lead singer in a band or a graffiti artist or a dude that um goes to thrift shops and sells vintage clothes, like different people, and like it takes a risk almost to go against the status quo, go against like what the system has set up for you, because. Yeah, there's there's um, different programs, like thousands of them, in order to be a doctor or in order to follow this certain, you know, um, path to become like a, have a successful career. But there's yeah. no path or schooling to do it yourself attitude to do your own business. So, what right. kind of what kind of risks did you like go through in a way, or like did you have any hiccups where you thought like this is like not a financial reward? I kind of have to go back to a nine to five. Did that ever happen? That never happened because my lifestyle is really simple, you know, and I never had ambitions of uh, like being a millionaire or making a lot of money or anything like that, you know. So it was always made me be make sure I'm able to feed myself and my kids, and the minimum I could do that I'm going to be happy that way, you know. And so even when I was younger, starting to do graffiti and all that stuff, and my ambitions was never to like be a famous dude because that just wasn't my shit because I know what it takes to be the best. It means you sacrifice everything, you know? And whether that's MMA or jujitsu or, or a graffiti or anything like that, all the guys at the very, very top, they sacrificed it all, you know? So if you're not ready to sacrifice your friendships, all your relationships and many hours of sleep, then um, I don't know. But my goal was it to be the best. It was just to be the best within myself and be able to balance all the different aspects of my life, you know? Yeah. And so back then it was my, my whole goal was to just to be the best in my city. You know, my goal was just to try to be the best dude in, in Diego because I'm never going to be the best dude in New York. I'm never going to be the best dude today. It was always like, hey, I'm just going to focus on San Diego and try to build um, all my relationships and all, and all my crafts here in this city. You know, mm-hmm. next thing you know, internet happens. There's Instagram, there's, and so now there's all this interconnectedness and now I'm able to talk to you guys in New York. I got friends in Europe, I got friends in Japan and it's just beautiful, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. And there's two things. One is that through, through just growing up and observing online or just observing the way people live their lives, I know a lot of people, including myself for a very long period of time, they get caught in this in this web almost of this life that you just really don't want to live, but you feel like you have no choice. You feel like, well, what am I supposed to do? Uh, quit my nine to five and start, start selling vintage clothes or what am I supposed to do? And it sounds like a horrendous, ridiculous idea that would never work. And you know, and it doesn't help that from the people around us, we'll get, you usually get negative comments. Like, why would you ever do that? Are you, are you stupid? Are you ridiculous? ridiculous. And because of that, you live your whole life stuck in this web of like, you don't want to live this way. And sometimes it's not even for things that you want. It's just like for the happiness or judgment of other people. And I really, I really respect and admire when people like you or people like almost everyone we've had on this podcast says, nah, I'm going to do my thing. And what I've noticed is from a lot of the people who do it, they start not really with a goal in mind of like, this is where it will go. They just have a lot of enthusiasm and true passion for what they're doing. And it naturally segues into what the universe like has ready or whatever you want to call it. It just naturally happens. Like a lot of the guests we've had on, they've had immense success in their field. And I'm like, yo, and you didn't plan this. I I believe them, but I'm saying, imagine what like 
that's crazy. It's crazy just by following what, like really putting in effort and what you love to do, what you can accomplish without any major long-term plan. Yeah, I think if, if you wake up, try to be the best person that day, it's going to cause a reaction, you know? And so sometimes people, they're like, I want to be the best rapper that's ever fucking lived. You're being too ambitious, man. You're going to, you're never going to get to, it's like a white belt talking about, I'm going to be the best black belt ever. It's like, bro, just focus on being the best white belt, dude. What the fuck are you talking about? And and now more than ever, I always hear, I see people online talking about like, I'm planning on getting my black belt and, I, and they're like white belts and shit. You know, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dog? You don't even deserve a blue belt right now. What are you, what are you thinking about a black belt for, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of weird, man. I, I never planned to be a black belt. Mine was to learn enough jujitsu to be have one mature MMA fight and not choked out by the jujitsu guy because I was the boxing guy. Mm. And so my goal was to go in there because I was watching UFC and it was just, the boxing was garbage. It was like the worst boxers in the world when UFC started, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I grew up boxing. So I was like, you know what? I think I could do an MMA fight, box some fucking dude and just knock him out. But I need to learn just a little bit of jujitsu. And so my goal was like do jujitsu for three months and have an amateur MMA fight and then never do jujitsu again because that shit's whack. <laughs> and then I started doing jujitsu and obviously I fell in love with it. You know, I was like, oh man, this is amazing. So I had four professional MMA fights. I mean, they were like small shows, you know, but I, I still was able to do four professional MMA fights and all of them ended with a, a choke. Mm, that's, yo, that's amazing. You know what it is too? It's like, I, I started boxing too before jujitsu and I had no knowledge of any Muay Thai, any grappling, any, any shoe boxing, any, anything, only, only boxing. So when I'd see the MMA fights, whether it be past a little bit less in the present, but even still in the present, I look and I'd be like, why are they standing like that? Their, their arms shouldn't be here. Why are they doing this? Oh, I just do this. And then I started to understand as I trained more, oh, it's because this doesn't work if you include everything. It works in pure fist fighting. But then when you yeah. start adding things, you can't even just have the regular boxer stance. You'll get your legs obliterated. Right, right. Yeah, when I started fighting, um, like street fighting in elementary school, it was like, you square up with somebody. I mean, this is fucking the 80s, dog. So, like, you square up with somebody, boom, boom, boom. If somebody drops, everyone's, all right, all right, all right. Let them stand up. Let them stand up. And then you stand them up, and then you box again, you know? And then once the UFC type of shit, MMA shit started happening, and jiu-jitsu and all this, now you get in a street fight, fools go to the ground, and they ain't going to break you up, dude. So you better figure your shit out, you know? So even street fighting is way different now, you know? Yeah. When you, uh, when you had your... Him. What's that, brother? No, uh, when you had your MMA uh, fights, gonna... <laughs> go ahead. Okay, okay. When you had your MMA fights, was it um, was this during the time period where people still pretty much just trained under their one discipline, or were were people more aware of jujitsu? Okay, yeah, people were more aware of jujitsu, but everyone had their specialty that they did. I think you know. I mean, this was that long ago. This was like ten years ago, but. So people were already doing a little bit of everything, but definitely you had more of a specialty. I think now the the MMA dudes are just good at everything. You know, just overall, everybody has to do everything, you know? And so I was fighting some uh, in Mexico, three of my professional fights were, or two of my professional fights were in Mexico. And those dudes were, they knew jujitsu, but they were more Muay Thai guys. And so I just, I kind of got close to them, clenched, 
let them take me down and they just wrap them up, you know? And so that was always my approach. Cause even my judo's garbage and my wrestling sucks. So. Mm -hmm. And when you started it, uh, when you went into those fights, um, sorry, when you started MMA and you started jujitsu, you know, you're known cause you have a, cause one of the reasons people know you as a Barrett Yoshida black belt. And did you know when you were entering into his gym that this was Barrett Yoshida or you just happened to walk into a regular gym and then boom, it just happened that that was your teacher. Well, I had been a tattoo oppressed, so I was broke as fuck. I had no money. And so I wanted to learn how to do jujitsu. So I went to different schools and asked if I just basically told them, hey, I'm broke, but I'm an artist. Could I do design work for you or, or give you a painting? And then I could do jujitsu once in a while. And they're just like, no, dumb motherfucker, get the fuck out of here type shit. You know, they weren't, none of them were giving me a chance, you know, and it's, it's all fair. I don't, I don't mind people telling me to fuck off, you know, so I kept going to gyms. I happened to walk into Unmuted uh, here in San Diego in North Park. And uh, I, it was this fucking routine. I'm telling, hey, man, I ain't got no money. And my homie own, which is a part of Shoya role now, and he's the one that actually took me to Europe a couple months ago which was amazing but he overheard my conversation and he's like yo you're a graph writer oh i write this and and he gave me a chance and so he introduced me to the owner he's like hey man this dude he doesn't have money but he's a good graph writer and he's a painter he's gonna train with he's gonna train with barrett now and so that was cool i had no idea who barrett was and so the next day i show up with a big ass fucking painting for the owner of the gym and then uh, I see Barrett just sitting right there. I had no, I thought he was just some Japanese dude. Barrett, his, you know, his roots are in Japan, but he's really an American. He's a Hawaiian, you know, that fool is hella Hawaiian and shit. And I'm just like, I see that he looks like some Japanese fool sitting there. And I'm like, um, hey, what's up, man? I'm going to be doing your class and like saying too much, you know? And he just looks at me. He's like, yeah, all right. And I, I, I the way I remember it, I almost think I did like, when you're talking to someone that's a foreigner, you you raise your voice a little bit. It's really insulting, you know? So I, feel, <laughs> I feel like I almost did that to him. That boy don't even speak Japanese, you know? You just think at me like, I fucking hate you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's my only jujitsu instructor I've ever had. Now, I was going to say, what made you um, what made you choose jujitsu as opposed to other martial arts? You stuck with that the longest. You're like 15 plus years now. Because you talk about how Jiu-Jitsu has um, like shaped your viewpoint on life in different aspects, not only in jujitsu, but in, maybe in tattooing, where it taught you how to like be more confident, like more fearless, more confident, you know what I mean? In different aspects like graffiti or just everyday life, it shapes a certain mindset that you walk with. Did you realize that right away or it took you time? Or is that why you stuck with it the longest? I think I said because I seen that old people, I seen that Haley Gracie was doing jujitsu when he was 80. He was even fucking 90 and still doing jujitsu. That's insane, you know? And so for me, even when I was a teenager, I, I thought to myself, when the whole thing about boxing that I seen my, uh, some of my people I looked up to started getting punch drunk, I'm like, damn, dude, I want to do something where I can do it when I'm old, when it's like, I got two days to live and I'm still doing everything that I love to do. And so jujitsu was that because I got inspired by Hideo and all the old jujitsu practitioners that are way advanced in their age and they're still doing it, man. They're still having fun, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why another reason why I love the gi more than the no gi, you know? 
as beautiful as the gi, as the no gi stuff is, and and Barry Bar is a no gi dude as well, you know. But as beautiful as that is, when you get start getting into the leg locks and and heel hooks and shit like that, everyone's really excited and they're doing it. But for me, I want to keep doing jujitsu when I'm an old man, you know. So I try to avoid doing like all the heel hook shit because once you get one of those type of injuries, it takes the wind out of your sails, man. And people are like, they lose their confidence in their jujitsu, and they're like, oh man, yeah, I used to do jujitsu, but I got this knee injury because I got heel hooked and. That was just something I did back in the days, you know? It's like with graffiti. That was something I did back then, you know? I'm like, dude, I think MQ said only toys quit, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know, man. I ain't trying to quit, man. I'm trying to be an old man, do everything, you know, still. Yeah, yeah I look up to all those dudes, man. Anybody that's that dedicated, man, to me, there's just people like that are just some of the best in the world and I respect it so much, man, and it's such a, a type of lifestyle that doesn't financially give back you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so that's what makes it even more beautiful to me you know mm -hmm. people that just those graph writers that are out there doing throw-ups and that's their shit and they go around the world doing throw-ups that that's the to me that's the highest form of graffiti you know mm -hmm. you have a lot of you have a lot of pride um and uh like a lot of respect i can see for for barrett and the way that he's taught you jujitsu. I was lurking on your Instagram and I saw you were, it was you, you won, you won first place in some competition and you were like, these people were younger than me. They were stronger than me. They probably were more confident than me. And I won just because I have, I have Barrett as my teacher and the training partners that are under him as my training partners. Um, like when it comes to training with him, what do you think is, is different about the way he goes about teaching or like that gives you an edge when it comes to uh, competition and stuff like that? Well, learning under him didn't necessarily give me a, an edge competition-wise, but I think artistically, my jiu-jitsu was able to develop um, better, I think, you know, because our, I never even learned about points for, so I was like almost a purple belt. So we weren't in the gym learning like, hey, man, that's two points, uh, he good. And when, this is how you, this is how you sneak in an extra point or you tap him on the leg here and do this or that to win through points. Uh, we wouldn't even get promoted unless you got a kill. So even if you win a competition, if you didn't even submissions, that shit doesn't even go towards you being promoted one day. Mm -hmm. And so it was all about the art of submission. You know, it was all about like, can you pull off the submission? And so as I started jujitsu more and more, uh, more competitive started just seeing on being this advantage and it's just like boxing dude everybody's on, on some competitive shit they want to get that slight edge and um it's just a different approach man you know we focus on the art of jiu-jitsu instead of the sport of jiu-jitsu mm. and so that's something that i've always respected about barrett man and his principles as far as his approach to jiu-jitsu it's beautiful man and he's just like such a a, a genuine good person and he's like a genuine artist you know mm -hmm. and he's he's in jujitsu he's a guy that's traveling the world doing throw-ups in a sense you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and there's motherfuckers out here doing fucking 30 color murals that are beautiful and amazing and there's guys that are making a million dollars but barrett is my dude that does throw-ups and travels and you don't give a fuck about money and he's just doing his thing you know he's like a real artist you know yeah to do something like that it takes a lot a lot of dedication, a lot of uh, training behind closed doors that not a lot of people see or even know. They just see you in the limelight and they can assume that 
you know, maybe uh, just God given talent or, or something natural. They don't see what goes down. Like I saw um, a video of him on his Instagram hitting his uh, his wrists with like the rubber mallet to make his chokes or something like that uh, stronger. Or if he does like an ankle lock, it's like a, a piece of metal against your Achilles or something like that. And like it's it's little things like that. The people who, like you said, are the best who are on top do like someone who does throw ups around the world they they like to a regular person or even a regular normal writer who hasn't taken it to that extent they just do their throw but to this person like their throw up is like exactly the same every time every letter like little details make a big difference and and that's just what you have to do to get to be the best or to get to be that guy who does throw ups around the world it takes there's so much that goes down behind closed doors as a people who who when they box, they'll box, they'll shadow box the same jab for, for hours. They'll throw the same left hook, 47, like 47 rounds of left hook in the mirror, left hook in the mirror. I, I uh, read Tyson's book and he's talking about how like he would learn, a, he would like cuss would teach him a move and in, in his room, in the mirror, he'd just be doing it. Left hook, left hook, slip, left hook, slip, yeah. like left hook, slip. And yeah. it's parallels in all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, I always tell my son, he's 11 now and he's like learning how to draw. And everyone's like, oh my God, he's so talented. He's so good. And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, hey, dude, it ain't that you're naturally talented. Nobody's naturally talented. It's that you put in the hours. I seen you put in the hours because he's like sketching, sketching, sketching. And um, the same thing with graffiti, same thing with everything. You know, it's not, nobody's just, naturally talented even the michael jordan you guys probably know that documentary that came out mm-hmm. that ain't naturally talented he just invested more hours into his crafts you know and so people think that all these people are just born with some god-given thing no they invested more hours and they worked harder than everyone else and that's why they're who they are you know and like so barrett for instance he was only training with white belts and uh and he was able to travel and still win world championship competitions and stuff you know because he just put in all the hours you didn't train and stuff and so everyone thinks like oh shit maybe i'm just not training with the top dude yet and that's why i'm not i'm not the best it's like that's not it man that's just because you're standing next to the best dudes in the world ain't gonna make you the best dude it's like you got to find it within yourself and put in the work you know you talked about how there was a point in time where you went to jiu-jitsu tournaments and you seen that there was no honor and it kind of turned you off for a while. You almost thought about quitting jujitsu. What went through your head with that? Like, um, well, to this day, man, I got a love-hate thing with competition. It's I love competing. I love, but man, does it hurt when like I I just have to remember that it's sport, you know. And we agreed to this set, and we have to like just try like. We're gonna see who wins, basically, you know. But I don't know. I just, I'm still to this day. It's just like I can't, I can't really decide if I just want to be the guy that just trains, or the, or um, the guy that competes on occasion. And every time I'm like, I'm never gonna compete again. Fuck that, dude. Nobody has any honor. Nobody wants to go for the kill. Nobody wants to just like put it all out there. I'm never gonna compete. And then someone will hit me and be like, hey man, I'm doing this uh, competition. You wanna do a super fight? And I'm always like, hell yeah, let's do it, you know? So I don't know, man, it's a struggle. It's a struggle every time. Mm-hmm. How often do you train jujitsu? I saw that you were saying how, um, you know, you ever since you started jujitsu, you've been on some, you've been working a job, you've been had, you had other hobbies, you paint as well. You got a lot going on. How often do you train? 
Well, right now, not as much, but if I got a competition coming up, I usually do one hour, five days a week. That's, mm. which isn't much. If you're talking about the dudes that are really out yeah, there yeah. competing, those dudes are putting in like four hours a day, you know? And nowadays you got professional jujitsu guys, they're doing even more than that, you know? And they're, they're training almost every single day. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the Sergio guard? Like I was watching your stuff and I'm like, yo, this is, this is getting me really hyped. I was training this yeah. morning. Oh no, I was training. Well, I was training this morning, but last night I was training and I did like a reverse, um, a reverse close guard. And I'm like, yeah. well, what do I do from here? And I was just lost, but I was, I was hyped. Cause I'm just like, yo, I didn't even think of this. This seems like yeah. for me, such a terrible position, but I see you and what you can do from it. And it just gets me hyped to be not just in jujitsu, but just, I was telling him earlier is getting me, I was looking at your gram and I'm like, yo, I got to start painting more. Like I do oil paintings and stuff. And like, um like writing and all this stuff and i'm like yo i want to do it more now i'm just getting hyped on just generally being artistic and creative but yeah how'd you come up with the uh, sergio guard um i think it was a pass that barrett taught and my legs were so long that i was like well shit man i got all this extra legs what could i do with them you know and so i was like okay uh it was a reverse mount basically is where it started off from and so uh i started from a reverse mount and things started to develop from there. And then my opponent would come up and then I would try to keep the reverse mount and then I would just close it. And then it was like a reverse close guard. And then um, I, was, I started sitting up like an omoplata position on the side of my opponent while I have reverse close guard. And then from there, it just started to just keep evolving, you know? And then Barrett said, you got to call it something, dude, or else someone's going to steal it and call it something else. And then you ain't going to get no credit for that shit. And I was like, nah, I don't know, man. I don't want people to think that I invented some shit. And he's like, nah, dude, that's your thing, man. Nobody else does that. And so he's, he started calling Sergio Guard. And then after that, I was like, all right, man, I'm just going to call it Sergio Guard. When you compete, do you go in with the mindset of like, you're going to like, what is your game when you go in for com- competitions? Yeah, my game is to get to my position. Mm-hmm. My game is to get to my, my position. And so a lot of times, though, I could get to my position the the easiest when someone is in uh, top side control and so you can see how in a competition that's not really good man so if someone's on top side control i'm already low on points mm-hmm. and so if they have any uh familiarity with my with my uh techniques they're gonna get their points and then get away and then run for a little bit and do shit like that you know mm-hmm. but yeah my goal is always to get the submission it frustrates, you know, my dad. He's like, dude, can you just get some points, please, so you could, like, win some shit? And I'm like, yeah, I just want to do my... Because mm-hmm. the, the reaction of the audience when I do what I do is the most grounding thing to me. And especially if I'm able to get a son, it'll, it, like, people that are familiar with what I, I do uh, for the mission, they trip out on that, and that's the best feeling. And then after someone coming up to me and telling me, like, what the fuck was that, like? can't believe i've seen that mm-hmm. that's like the best that's better than the than a gold medal and all that you know mm-hmm. yeah i really i really i really respect the, that you that you do your thing like that and also the like the creation of the of the sergio guard and all this because in a way for me i think it embodies the history of jiu-jitsu because you know when um jiu-jitsu came about in the early ufc days a big factor of them of them winning was because people just simply didn't know jujitsu. And then like every time someone comes up with a new position, when you do or a new move, 
that isn't popular at the time or just is just recently invented when you do it on people they just they just don't know what it is and that gives you a severe upper hand like we were talking to alex Eklund with the g roll and like you know all, all this stuff or, or your stuff and like or even the, the danaher dudes like when they started coming through with the leg locks and all this stuff or the barambolos and it's like all that stuff really it's like creativity that fuels that fuels jiu-jitsu to grow and it fuels um people have to adapt change their entire game because this dude or these sets of dudes are doing this and it just i can only like for me it's almost like yo it has to be done like it there's like what more can be created like we we only got four limbs but every time i'm just surprised with what can go down it's it's honestly beautiful yeah and for the leg lock stuff man that stuff's amazing the way it's developed and the donaher guys what they've done with all that I mean, how many years is, was that system just been unstoppable, man? I mean, it's fucking, it blows my mind. And, and so and so to even compete with those dudes, you got to try to understand what they're doing or else you're just going to get steamrolled, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's so many techniques, I think, that are developing in that way. It's just hard to keep with. It's hard to keep up with, man. So I'm focused on my style and um, just trying to keep funky, you know? Mm-hmm. you were talking about in a different Difficult. interview that, yeah 100 you were talking about in a different interview that you were uh you're like a spiritual person you know you grew up um in jehovah's witness type of family and it positively affected your life in terms of your self-development can you talk about what do you mean by you're a spiritual person do you have any practices that you do in day to day i'm a big like meditator i i read a lot on just a bunch of religions and i appreciate aspects of every religion and I just wanted to hear about that because I haven't heard about it too much in your other stuff. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I grew up, uh, my mom raised me Jehovah's Witness and some of those same ideas growing up Jehovah's Witness are still with me today. You know, I'm not, I don't go to church or nothing like that. Um, but it's like, for instance, um, we weren't allowed to put our hand over our heart and pledge our allegiance to, the, to a flag. And so imagine being a first grade kid, being in the classroom and the teacher says, everyone put their hand over their heart and I have to have the mental capability to be strong in my own personal beliefs as a fucking first grader. And I do that and just put my hands to my side. My teacher and 30 other fucking kids were looking at me like I'm a fucking alien, you know? And so that type of thing <clears throat> was a really good foundation for me to become confident in what I believe and be able to stand stand by what I believe, even if it goes against what everyone else thinks, you know? And to that, to this day, that's been an important part of who I am, you know? I mean, I get, people say that I'm fucking, that I say wild ass shit on my Instagram shit because I, I don't have the regular opinion that everyone has, you know? But I got, I can't lie to everyone. I can't pretend that I have the same opinion as everyone. And so I just say what I think is the right thing to say and, and talk about what I believe and, uh, it makes me feel it makes me feel and it has to do with upbringing as far as being a Jehovah's Witness. But as far as reality goes, I've always been curious since then what what is what else is out there, why we're here, and all these type of questions, you know. And it's something very interesting to me. And I do believe that there is a high power and there's lower power as well. You know, there's there's low energies and there's higher energies, and I'm just curious on what that means. And the fact that people could pretend that science figured everything out is total nonsense, you know, because scientists don't know what the fuck's going on. I mean, if you think about dark matter and all these things, 
people don't even know what the fuck dark matter is and it takes up most of the universe so how are you going to say that you understand that there's no higher power that you're an atheist or something like that it just doesn't make sense to me and i think a lot of the religions throughout history have been talking about the same the same ideas and the same things you know so there's definitely connections between all those things and it's important for us to talk about things as far as symbols go like so for 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 me to um when i see a picture of jesus when i see a picture of christ maybe i don't believe that you know jesus was walking the earth and this happened and that happened to me it's more of an um allegory but it's important as individuals because we're we're humans it's important us to choose visual symbols you know and it, it's easier to talk to people through visual symbols as opposed to ones and zeros you know everything's going towards science and math and all that shit well science and math is talking about the same shit that religion was talking about but religion has way more beautiful pictures man you know it ain't just ones and zeros it ain't some matrix shit it's like you got a picture of shiva you got a picture of jesus and you got all these the picture of buddha and you have all these beautiful poetic concepts i'd rather live my life in that realm as opposed to the realm of ones and zeros you know yeah, absolutely. And the way that things are going, and you're talking about pledging allegiance to the flag and um, just the way that things are going in the matrix, the world of ones and zeros. It's like, yo, we like you, if you walk down the street, I've never been to San Diego, but at least in New York, people, you're living in a very populated city and it desensitizes us to our own neighbors. You say hi to them in the elevator and they're like, hi, what are you talking about? Hi. Or like, or now we got to wear our masks and like, you can't even see each other's faces, which just isn't normal. And I know you got a lot to say about that. Like I was just listening to some podcasts and was talking about how it's just pretty much been proven that the masks, especially the, like there are some masks that will stop almost a lot of things from coming in, but the, right. ma the masks that everybody's wearing or like the bandanas, those don't do anything for, for Corona, it, whether you like it or yeah. not, whether you want to get tight that like someone's saying that it's like, it's not about getting tight. It's just about like two plus two equals four. The the particles simply go right through the mask. Like, what do you want us to do about it? And then people get tight if you don't wear it. And I can understand, like if you had a family member get sick or a loved one get sick, you feel like it's blatant disrespect to your face that someone like doesn't care and they think they're invincible, but it's not about thinking you're invincible. It's about like, like, you know, you preach it. It's about like doing the homework for yourself. So, you know, have an idea what's going on today. It's the masks. And I'm not saying that like, they're trying to destroy us all, but I'm also not saying that that's outside of the realm of possibility. You got to like have an open mind to these things. And it's like, what is really going on? You know, you do a lot of the other research and the yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of research. It's hard to go into like, well, this number and fucking, and so I, I try to, because then you could always debate about what number means what and all this other shit. But the grand picture is that for me, if you do a little bit of research, you'll be able to find out that the um, effectiveness of the mask is very little to almost none. 80, whatever, uh, so many of the people that got coronavirus were mask wearers. Um, and this shit is just so heavy, dude. Um, for, for, for to have little kids wear masks when the death rate or with a chance for a child to die of COVID, 0. 0.00 fucking whatever the fucking thing is insane man Tuber tuberculosis or the flu the death rate is probably even higher than coronavirus you never wore the fuck mask it's just a slap in the face to common sense dude for people to be like subscribing to this shit 
it just blows my fucking mind, man. And so when I go to other places and people aren't wearing masks and people understand that we got to live our lives and, and you got to allow people to make a living for themselves. And you got to allow people to, if they want to fucking buy a sandwich from their neighbor, they should be allowed to do it. Or if they want to go to their homie's shop and buy some fucking shoes, they should have the freedom to go into the fucking shoe store and buy some shoes. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. I mean, we have so many books that talk about all these concepts in 1984, Brave New World. I mean, I just, it blows my mind. This year has absolutely blown my mind to how many people are just walking around like, you know, zombies and shit under hypnosis and it's all because the mass media is feeding so much fear every day i don't have cable tv but i go to visit my dad and that shit's on and coronavirus every single day they never talk about how to build your immune system how to be healthy um other ways to defeat coronavirus they just talk about this this many cases they don't even talk about deaths because it's just less and less now you know um Man, it makes me so happy that I'm able to say stuff though, and people understand that I'm not. No one gets upset when I say what I say because they know that I'm saying some real shit, you know. So before I would say something like that, and I'd get like 10, 10 trolls that would be on, you know, talking shit like, "Oh, you think you know this?" or "You're gonna kill my grandma," or and now I say even wilder shit, and nobody nobody has any opposition to it because they know i'm right man there's people that are dying in the third world because there's uh no, no food getting to some of these countries and everybody was talking about oh we're trying to look out for brown and black people and you know all this social justice social justice. where's the social justice here dude there's motherfuckers there's little kids dying and shit there's like there's no food getting to the third world this is according to their own sources this is according to the UN, you know, there's kids dying out there and, uh, and all because of the break, the food supply. So how do you justify all this shit? How could you justify it? Nobody could justify it. You know, it doesn't make any sense, man. It doesn't make any sense. So people got to do their own research and find out for themselves what the fuck's going on. I think like you said, man, it's a big part of it is I think community because a lot of people, are very separated, especially right now. We're very divided as like after what just happened, all this racism stuff, the police stuff, like people feel very divided nowadays. And who do they rely on? The fucking the box in their room talking to them as if these like big corporations care about our true well-being. You know what I mean? We need to really tighten up yeah. our own communities. And I wish we could decide among these things within ourselves, because like you said, if you want to go to your friend's store or like go get a haircut or this, like how are they telling me what I should or should not be doing? You know what I mean? But it's, dude, people got to start being more individuals. And we live in the age of information. You could go on your phone and find out why all this shit is fucking stupid. And people just yeah. choose not to. They choose to find the comfortable route. And looking at TV, yeah. dude, it's everywhere. It's mind poison, man. It's not only about the virus. You look at the news, man. Death, destruction, fires, killing, kidnapping, pedophiles. Like, bro, it's yeah. just like living in this vibration. Yeah. Yeah, but the TV sphere speeds fear, you know, it just feeds. And so people got to be, what it is, man, too, people are afraid of what other people think. Yes. And so it's like, oh, there's a hundred people. It's it's that, it's me not putting my hand over my heart. That's me for the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, you know, whatever, man, it's like, it's different. But for me, when I don't wear a mask, that's me doing that. And I'm, I'm ready for it, shit. So I feel bad for people that didn't have my upbringing that are like, well, dude, everyone's gonna think I'm a piece of shit. And I'm like, that's their problem, dude. Why do you care? Who are these people? They're fucking weebs. 
they're idiots. They don't shit about anything. Like if you do your own research and you find out that this, maybe it's not good for my fucking four-year-old kid to be walking around a mask at the park. It's better if he breathes in some fucking air, then do it. If somebody is going to talk shit to you, tell them to fuck off, man. That's the way it's always been. You don't tell me how to raise my kids and you don't tell other people what to do and you mind your own business. And I can't believe how many people are afraid. Grown ass men are afraid about what some fucking person is going to tell you. It's like when uh, Mexican parents go into uh, the the uh, the clinic with their kid, and they got some fucking lady in the lab coat looking down on you. Hey, your kid's going to take this fucking vaccine. And the poor Mexican lady, she barely speaks English, and she's just like afraid of this lady. And she doesn't want this lady to think she's a bad parent. And she's like, okay, okay, okay. And that shit happens to grown ass men. I'm looking at grown ass men like, what are you afraid of, dog? These people are fucking dorks, dog. They suck, you know? And so like when the lady asked me, hey, what's up? Well, are you gonna take your, your kid's gonna take the vaccine, right? And I was like, well, what are the ingredients in the vaccine? That way I can go home and read the ingredients and find out for myself. And she got, she was just like, what? And then I said, hey, also, if my kid has an adverse reaction to this vaccine, are you going to be held responsible for it? And then that freaked her out. And she's like, shit. She's like, oh, this monker knows it. And she's just like, "Uh," she's all mad. Basically, I never went back to that hospital ever again. But what I'm doing is, I'm the reason I'm so vocal is I know I can defend myself. But the reason I'm vocal is because I hate bullies, dude. And all these people are bullies. All these people that are telling you you're a bad person if you don't do this or that, you're a bully, dude. You're only doing that to meek people, or to poor people, or to brown people because you think you boss them around. Like I'm talking about immigrants, you know, they where you see yuppie telling immigrant like, why ain't doing this or that, you man? Fuck, dude, that shit. I get worked up because. They never fuck with me, but they always fuck with people that they think they could bully. You know, that's what that's what really gets to me. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, us against them. There's a lot of uh, negativity that's going on in the world right now as a whole. And I think that us, us meaning people who I guess in some plane, you could say we have a, maybe an open mind to more possibilities or like we don't take like shut things out. I think it's up to us. To, um, I wouldn't I, I'm definitely wouldn't say turn the other cheek but more so like the way I see it if I try to take a step back I could see myself being like oh you were like you, you wear a mask you're a sheep and then the mask wearers could say oh you don't wear a mask you're a piece of shit uh conspiracy conspiracy theorist and then it just right. becomes a rhetoric of like fuck you nah fuck you nah fuck you nah fuck you and it's like yeah. what we gotta do is step back and be like I guess attempt the best way that we can, you know, we're all human, but try to be somewhat understanding. So we don't look as them at them as the enemy or, and they can hopefully one day not look at us as the enemy, because if you just put the finger up to, um, uh, like put the finger up to a group, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to open up the ears. They're going to be like, or, or even if they were completely wrong, they're going to be like, all right, well, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're not going to want to listen. So that's not an intelligent way to go about it. I think that, there's a lot of uh, separation right now. And now more than ever, what we need as humans is to realize, yo, it's like that person wearing a mask is like, they got a brain inside of their head, just like me. Like maybe it makes them feel more comfortable. We could share our ideas and maybe I'll find out some stuff that I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're wrong. Who's to say we got to really keep an open mind. Cause us thinking that we have open minds 
you never know when you're the one who has the lacking information. And I'm not saying we are the ones I'm saying, like, we don't know. And the only way to try to avoid that is have a have a broad understanding of the of the topic at hand. Yeah, definitely not dehumanizing the other side. I always empathize with people. I mean, the only time I ever get worked up is when someone is overtly rude to me or someone else. And that's, that's, that's just been the reality for, from the beginning, you know? And so I'm never rude to somebody that decides they want to wear a mask or I try not to, or I don't be roasting fools or I'm trying to like, Oh, you cheat, blah, blah. No, nah, I don't do that shit, man. They're, I, I try to empathize with them and be nice. And I, my main goal when I meet anyone is I want them to feel better than, than when they first met, talk to me, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I want people to feel good when they walk away from me and stuff. So I don't ever want to put people down, man. But yeah, of course, we got to like try to empathize with people and treat people good and make them happy, you know? The thing is, is with me is like, I understand this. I truly do that. We have to keep an open mind and empathize with people and see where they're coming from and, you know, take a spot in their shoes and understand. But when it comes to the government, I truly believe there's so much proof out there that they have literally lied to us about so many things. So why is this any different, especially on such a global scale? I don't understand why there is nothing like, how can you think there's nothing behind this and to fully oblige to their control and their orders. And this literally affects people's lives. So many businesses, so many people have lost all everything they've worked for in their lives. And just to be like, Oh, I guess it's for the better. I guess it's for my own, you know, it's for the better. Like, no, you have to take a stand. It comes to a point where you have to truly understand that shit is going on and we have to get to the bottom of this. We can't just keep following everything they tell us. Like I said, like I said before, like what they're going to tomorrow be like, you have to walk on all fours all day because the virus is floating at a certain level. Like, okay. Yeah. And then what, what is that? There's no line. You know what I mean? We're going to keep doing things they want us to do. Man, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I get worked up about this too, but like, it's just honestly, I'm also like, it affects my personal life and it affects my family and the people I love. Like, it affects their lives. So, how can I not have some type of emotion and, you know, intimate feeling about this? That's what I'm trying to get at, you know? Yeah. 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 You can try to, uh, more people got to take responsibility and realize that shit is uh, kind of backwards right now. And we, uh, you just got to get your own information and uh, be a skeptic. I think that's what I would encourage. Be a skeptic. It doesn't mean you got to believe you got to believe shit. Just be skeptical of be skeptical of the television. At the very least, be skeptical of these billion dollar conglomerates that are selling us fear and selling us their pharmaceutical products. That's, that's, that's something we could all agree on, whether it's the left or the right, you know, and there are every issue. They always try to paint it as a left or right issue. And that is not healthy. That's separating people. And they do that on purpose, dude. It's not by accident. Everything is like, it's not even a left and right issue. You know, it's like, that's a human issue. It's a human issue. These conglomerates, these billion dollar conglomerates that are selling this fucking garbage every day, man. You look at the TV and you're watching the news. All the advertisement is pharmaceutical companies. You think they don't have uh, conflicts of interest? It's fucking nuts, man. Um, but I think more and more people are waking up, dude, and more and more people are coming together and more and more people are starting to look at people on the left, people that are on the right, they're looking at people on the left as um, friends and people on the left are seen on the right as friends, you know, and that's good. That's the most important thing. All this shit of dehumanize the other side, 
that is very, very dangerous and it's very, very stupid. You know, it's not good. The the fucking, oh, fuck Trump supporters or fuck the libtards and all that. That's not good, dog. We can't be talking like that. You know, I don't really like that shit. And I don't really encourage that type of conversation whenever I hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, like, the way the system is set up, like you said, it's either left or right, but no one is either this or that. It's not like when you choose that, let's say that I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, that I agree wholeheartedly with that entire field. Like, I might want some of this, a little bit of that and some of this. I wish it could be possible for a politician who's running for office to just come in and be like, I'm not I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, I'm somebody who wants. But if you do that, you, you kind of immediately get shut out. And it sucks because that's like the most natural human thing is to have in, not inconsistencies, but like a mix of how you think. You're not just like one way because at the end of the day republicans they have some good ideas democrats democrats they have some good ideas they both also have some bad ideas why can't we just admit that instead of saying like oh you're this immediately bad or oh if you're not this you're immediately bad it's like it sucks and what's crazy is that we're us three we're not the only humans who think this i'm sure almost everyone if you were to tell them this they'd be like yeah but like, it's almost as if like, all right, so almost everybody thinks this. So why the, why is it this way? And it's like, why do you, or like you, you like the, the pharmaceutical industries, they fund the CDC, the World Health Organization. They're the ones who are telling us to take this and take that. They make billions of dollars. You don't think that they're at least in some minimal way trying to finesse you into taking something so they can keep making their money. You know, like even if you're just selling a t-shirt, you want to finesse people into thinking that thing's cool enough to buy it. Like, so just with that mentality on a higher scale, it just only makes sense that they're going to be doing it. Maybe not like mind control. Maybe, maybe it is mind control. Maybe it's not. But what I'm saying is like, they're doing like, they're. it just wouldn't, you'd have to be completely naive to not think that they're doing something like if we know that the masks don't necessarily stop Corona, why is the focus on that? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Why? Yeah, because it's a because it's a it's a visual symbol that lets you know that this shit is still here and you should still be terrified of it. And and even fucking Bill Gates have said we ain't gonna be able to take the mask off till till they have a vaccine. Who the fuck is Bill Gates? That fool got sued by the American government, dude, in the fucking 2000, 2001. And then people, uh, I post some shit and they're like, oh, that's some just crackpot doctor. Why are you listening to him? And I'm like, who are you listening to, fool? You're listening to Bill Gates. What the fuck? What? What's his degree in? What's his degree in, you know? Oh, man, people like wake the fuck up. But more people are waking, man. It makes me. And you know what's interesting to me is that so many women are the ones that are standing up, dude, because their parents and they're looking out for their kids. And they're like, wait, what the fuck? And they do research. And then they start their own Instagram thing. And they try to uh, inform the public and. That's really like, it makes me feel really good, you know? But where the hell are the men at though? Where the hell are the men that are gonna stand up for their children? Where are the men that are gonna stand up for actually having a strong informed opinion and trying to shed some light to the world? And uh, man, it's so crazy how you were saying there's so many naive people and it seems like the most naive people are the ones that are most vocal, you know? And most people that have common sense, they have common sense and they keep it to themselves. But we're getting to the point where people that have common sense and have a little bit of information are going to have to like speak up, man. We got, we, we're getting to the point in, in this fucking story of the world right now where people are going to have to speak up and stand up and empathize with people and be kind to people. But at 
the same time, say what's on your mind. Say what's on your mind. A lot of people don't do that. Messages every. I love what you're doing. I love what you're saying. I wish I could say that. Why? 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 Why do you wish you could say that? Just say it, man. Just say it. You know. Yeah, there's a quote from I think it's Lao Tzu, and he's just like, "Man who knows doesn't speak." Um, but it's it's about time the man who knows should be speaking especially like there's a negative uh, connotation that goes along with like using Instagram a lot, but it's like, why you could really use that to you, you could end up blowing up, have millions of followers and put out a lot of useful information, useful ideas, inspiring things. It doesn't have to be used for as a, as an outlet for, for your selfies or as an outlet to be like, Oh, look at my newest fit. It doesn't have to be used for materialism or selling anything. It could be used for anything you want. It's social media. It's supposed to be social. We're interacting with other human beings in, in a very, very, very powerful way where one post could be seen by like, you have more power now in terms of just having the cell phone on you in terms of the knowledge you could acquire in terms of how many people you could reach with just one cell phone that probably they did when, TVs were first around for the first 20 years. You know what I mean? Like we have so much power and we shouldn't use this idea. Like we shouldn't think, oh, but being on Instagram too much is corny. Yo, who cares? That's like, there's a lot of ideas. I've, I've noticed that like, I feel like it's like cool to think that. Like it's cool to be like, ah, Instagram's corny. I'm not on that that much. All right, I understand. But you have to also realize that it's a tool. It's a, it's a tool that we can use. You know, all of our new inventions, when they first were invented, people are like, yo, that's insanity. Books, people are going to lose their memory. Uh, t uh, a computer, no one's, someone was quoted for saying like, oh, a computer, I'm, I doubt, highly doubt that will ever be used by anyone. We always are doubting these things. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's skepticism and I understand it, but it's like, we should be, like I said, open-minded to the fact that things such as social media are extremely powerful tools. There's a lot of people who are using them uh, to their advantage and, you know, spreading positive messages. But then there's a lot of people who are just like, yo, man, it doesn't have to be a corny thing. You could use it for amazing purposes, you know? Yeah. Like, and even saying uh, very like spreading information and knowledge, a lot of times it starts getting dark and you're like, damn, dude, it seems like you're just giving me bad news. And so it's very important that if you're going to be a person that wants to spread knowledge, that you balance it out with trying to figure out to not just point out problems, but offer real solutions. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are really good at pointing out problems, but they ain't giving you good solutions, you know, and then sometimes they give you solutions that are not, not good, not beneficial, you know, and so we got to be very careful of that, you know, because then yeah. people stop up to you because you're like, damn, all I'm getting is negative shit from you. And I don't want it every day, you know? Yeah, it, it's really, it's, it's weird to say, but I guess it's like, it's very similar to human interaction in the sense that, you know, when you talk to someone, you talk, they talk, you come up with some conclusion. You don't just talk for three hours straight without them saying a word back. You have to know how to socialize. You know, you got to know social cues. You got to know the way you say things and the way they're going to take it. And it's the same thing online. You don't just post four million stories yo people are only going to see the first two and then they're going to be like i'm over it so you got to be yeah. smart just how when you act, interact with a human you look them in the eyes you tell them this if you're going to say things it's not just what you say but how you say it same thing online we got to understand that it's it's hard though because all the social media it's not in our it's not in our nature it's like an invented thing so of course we don't it's not in our genes or dna to know immediately how to use this we're just chimp people with these new inventions like 
typing whatever we want, having fun, like looking up whatever we want. It's just like, it's our chimp brain taking over, but it comes a point where you got to use your rationale and be like, all right, I know what I want to say. Am I saying it the best way possible so that it actually has its purpose? Or am I just like, oh my God, yo, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, the craftsmanship involved as well, you know? It's just like any other craft, being able to, um, and I would say social interactions are the same thing, human to human, have, being able to have a conversation, being able to have a good conversation is craftsmanship as well, you know? And so being on social media is craftsmanship, and um, I think it's important for all of us to learn how to develop that. And I'm still learning myself, you know? Sometimes I go in too hard, and I feel like I'm, I'm coming off too snarky or too aggressive or too mean, and I got to tone it down and, and I got to like reevaluate my approach all the time, you know? So I'm constantly still doing that, but I'm, I'm going to keep, keep talking about some real shit and trying to keep an open mind and keep uh, being able to change my mind and having a more um, moderate approach to what I'm, what I, what I'm saying, you know, what I'm trying to say out there. I think a big part of it is like vulnerability and speaking your voice nowadays because if people need anything it's a true leader like me personally i don't see the presidents or these businessmen or like these um like these leaders so-called in office as leaders we need something more personal we need something that somebody that really talks about what's going on because people yeah they want something everybody feels this deep down you know that, that something's wrong that we're not living to our full potential that something's off you know but they're so used to their daily routine and nobody's talking about this nobody wants to talk about this because you become like a black sheep you get looked at weird nobody wants to feel uncomfortable you know what i mean it takes yeah. a certain level of um you know kicking your ego at the door to know that it's for the better to speak about these things you know like yeah, you even said when you mm, when you were when you made your music you used to just write the lyrics you weren't even like really into the the beats themselves you just wanted to get your message across and that's what we yeah. need man we need people to speak what is going on it's about it's not even about the coronavirus or about them controlling us it's about being getting in touch with our humanity getting back to being vulnerable loving you know sharing a connection community like really being tight with each other and not just small talk and like you know, things that don't matter. We need to talk about things that people feel every day because when you start talking to people about these things, they literally start crying because they've been holding this deep inside their whole lives and nobody's been talking to them about this. Like, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, everybody starts off by trying to save the world and they haven't even met their neighbor. They haven't even said, how are you going to save the world if you can't even say hi to your next door neighbor, G? You don't even know your next door neighbor's name. And you're trying to save someone in fucking Istanbul or Syria or fucking start local, start local, start talking to your friends. I got, um, bro, I'm walking now it's full circle. I'm walking around like a Jehovah's witness. I got these cards that have information about COVID and about vaccines. And I walk around my city and my neighborhood, even my son's with me, dude. And he's still down for it. And I'm like, Hey, could I give you some information about vaccine or can I give you some information about this current situation with COVID? And I'm handing out shit. And I'm more like big outreach or Joe is just doing this. And I don't, I'm putting myself in a vulnerable state. You know what I mean? Because people could roast me. People can make fun of me. People could tell me I'm a kook, but I got to speak up, man. And, and every time I make a post that I know people might not agree with, that shit's stressful to me, man. I don't want to do that shit, dude. I don't want to, I want to deal with People just telling me I'm great and this is awesome and everything that you do is great. I don't get that. I mean, 99% of the people, yeah, 
But that 1% that writes me and tells me I'm a piece of shit, that shit doesn't feel good, you know? But I still know I have to do it. So I make my post, I put my phone away, I try not to think about it, but it's in the back of my head that eventually I gotta go online. And because I address every single person that writes me with a negative comment, you know? Not on my profile, but on my story. Someone writes me, hey, I think you're wrong because this, this, or that. I told people that I'm gonna keep an open mind and I wanna stick to that. And so when someone tells me new information, I listen to what they have to say, and I write them back, cordial, respectful, you know? Even when they totally disrespect me and they tell me, fuck you, fucking whatever, I'm like, all right, man, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, you know? And, and I, you know, a lot of people are afraid to put themselves in that situation, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we just got to speak up, man. We got to be positive and be friends with all our neighbors. Yeah. Yo, man, uh, it's been like an hour and some change. I want to say thank you, immense thank you for uh, doing this talk. I really thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this. I'm not going to front. The Wi-Fi was a little bit laggy, but you can understand. Uh, if you listen to it, you can understand everything you're saying pretty much. Like you could put the, a lot of the words together, but I'm just going to give like a before like we upload it, I'm going to upload an extra like 10 second clip of me saying like the wife was a little laggy so like we apologize for whatever but yeah bro for real immense thank you i thoroughly enjoyed this yeah thanks so much man and god bless you guys and uh i can't wait to go out to new york and maybe we can link up that'd be Yo, great for sure bro we're the light of the world man there's <laughs> there's not enough of it bro we gotta we gotta keep doing this bro i really oh, appreciate yeah. this bro like you right keep on. doing your thing bro honestly thanks i appreciate it man